down player here. And let's see, do we have the, move this forward once. It's a little sticky. I'll pass this to you. Okay. So uh, I want to introduce to my far right Dr. Rob Fields, who is the SVP and Chief Medical Officer for Population Health at Mount Sinai. And to my immediate right, Lauren Lisher, who's the VP of Commercial Product and focuses on solutions for the employer, labor union, and health plan marketplace. And I thought Mount Sinai provides a unique perspective. It was an institution that was early to experiment with accountable care, maybe by East Coast standards, we would say, by New York standards. And it competes in a New York marketplace, which is quite unique and has some very unique challenges. So I wanted to uh, bring them in to help us understand those. And what I've seen of Mount Sinai, since my my friend Lauren here went to uh, join, is that they've been working hard to develop solutions for the employer marketplace. I'm sure we'll talk about MA and and your payer partnerships. Um, But it's very interesting to me, part of the CVS discussion as well, is the ability to leverage solutions that are developed in regional marketplaces and try to make those work for uh, nationwide populations or employers that are going to need nationwide solutions. So I want to get into that as well, but I think Dr. Fields will start with a, a bit of an overview of Mount Sinai and how you came to this. Sure. Hopefully you guys can see some of this uh, on the other screen as well. It's uh, my visually impaired self has has a hard time. But uh, a lot of you know Mount Sinai. I'm relatively new to the system. I've only been there uh, six months. But we're a large academic center in many ways, um, very traditional uh, in a fairly new system. Uh, The Mount Sinai Hospital itself has been around for Quite a long time, but as a system, it's it's really pretty new. Uh, approximately five years or so uh, as a system, uh, it includes a, a very well-respected medical school, very well-respected academic research center, uh, and hospital, um, and with a large number of physicians on medical staff and a growing employed provider network, uh, which has changed pretty dramatically actually in recent years. In recognition that the world is changing around us and. We, as I've found is very typical in New York, had a pretty small number of primary care physicians as part of the strategic plan before just five years ago, and that has changed pretty dramatically uh, with the continuum merger to not not only include a whole host of community hospitals, but also a growing number of primary care physicians in the network to help manage the population. That's a critical piece, I think, of the story of how we're moving towards value. but certainly has has a pretty strong brand not only in the market but also internationally um, that I think is a, a good nucleus for a lot of the work that we're trying to do. And in particular, I think a lot of the work that Lauren's team is doing is you know what does the brand mean in the context of everything we're talking about this morning and what kind of value we can provide um, from a network standpoint. A lot of you have seen the now rather famous ad, I feel like, in this space that, you know, if our beds are filled, we fail, that came out in full-color ads across the city, and it's sort of a, you know, planting a, a flag about what, where Mount Sinai was moving, actually executing on that, and as you can imagine, in a very traditional academic center, and on top of that, a relatively new system that's still trying to understand how it functions as a system has been particularly challenging to execute. But uh, I think there are some fundamental things that were done uh, at the executive level in terms of how we organize our business, how we organize our contracting, all through Pop Health, that I think sets the stage for, for trying to do this work. Um, the, uh, a couple of things strategically that we're working on that I think are, are important to recognize, I think at, you know, we, we, 
we've been talking this morning at a pretty large level for understandable reasons, you know, the macro level of how systems are changing. But at the provider level, we're trying to do some things like, you know, changing the comp plan. And in order to kind of execute on this, on this appropriately, we, we're trying to make sure that their personal compensation is tied to some way as the way the system gets compensated as one of many means that we try to use to change culture and how we, how we change delivery. We have to change the incentives all the way down to the frontline providers. Um, and we uh, have had significant investments in network development. Uh, we have a significant number of independent, we call them voluntary providers here in New York, but voluntary providers on top of the employed network that we're trying to organize across way more than 100 different instances of various EMRs. Speaking to uh, my table mate earlier about you know the, the consolidation of data and how we use data efficiently across all those different instances is also a challenge, uh, but have developed a uh, significant analytics infrastructure to try to help organize our data, make sense of it, execute on it. Um, all that to manage about two and a, and a quarter billion dollars of total medical expense and about 700 million in full risk um, across MA, commercial, Medicare fee for service. We have three ACOs, two track ones, um, and a track one plus. Uh, certainly, Medicare Advantage products or uh, relationships at various levels of risk and of, um, uh, at-risk Medicaid as well. So significant number of dollars at risk uh, that has kind of created a, as much of a call of urgency as we can uh, throughout the system to help us execute. On top of that, on the value proposition and all the work that Lauren will describe is how do we then deliver a similar population management value structure to direct to, empl- you know, to employers, unions, and other purchases of of health. So um, a lot going on for sure. Sure. So Lauren, why don't you walk us through some of the initiatives that fall into your your group? Sure. So we, um, interestingly, I think for Mount Sinai as well, so part of how we define population health and this sort of shift to value is not just in the traditional context that you're maybe more used to hearing around Medicare and Medicaid. We certainly have that Um, as Rob talked to you, but we've also thought about how do you define value to other purchasers of healthcare, uh, primarily the commercially insured population. So my team uh, focuses on union uh, employers and uh, increasingly some direct-to-consumer portions as well. Uh, So what we're doing in sort of that broader trend, as you're aware, most employers' uh, second biggest cost is healthcare. So whether they want to be in the healthcare business or not, they uh, are experiencing the ever-increasing costs, uh, and they're dealing, which we can get into, with that in different ways. But our team has structured uh, really around four services to date based on a variety of different trends going on in the market. So um, our goal is to become people's first call, whatever that care need may be, and have structured to do things from primary and preventative care, so thinking about near-site or on-site clinics, uh, to some more specialty care-focused, um, either bundles or center of excellence types of solutions, uh, to where the market's hopefully going over time. You've seen less of this in New York this far, but thinking about more preferred or narrow network products um, as well. And then a fourth service that really wraps around it uh, is thinking about a navigation service, which has become a bit of a buzzword in this space, but mm-hmm. thinking about um, and a theme across also what we do is how can we really differentiate because we're um, a full health system um, and not a, a vendor or siloed provider of care. So thinking about that first call mantra, how do, can we uh, do whatever it takes and provide a really elevated service, whatever your care needs may be, and help hold your hand through that. So uh, we've been, uh, Population Health started as a focus at Mount Sinai 
um, a few years ago. Our team started two years ago, so we are effectively a startup within the system as well, but have uh, entered the market in each of those four areas and scaling uh, as well. And you mentioned the lack of narrow networks. So maybe that brings to mind the fact that we should talk about the New York marketplace, right? The New York marketplace is a little bit unlike all yeah. others. It's nuts. Um, <laughs> not, yeah. Both of you have chosen to join Mount Sinai in the last couple of years. So, so maybe give us a little background. What makes New York different for those of us that are not familiar with it? Um, some of the constrictions that you work under, and some of the benefits, I guess, as well. There's a lot of capital in the New York system. Um, when we walk through that, I, I can maybe start. I, I'm probably the, you know one of the newest folks in the room um, to the New York market, but um, I've only been here about six months. But I came from Mission Health in rural North Carolina, uh, covered about 20 counties, uh, and had a very successful ACO program and very successful in MA. And trying to differentiate what is going on here that's so different. Um, and there, I, I see a couple of things in the delivery model. One is that the competitive market is pretty interesting. It's not just the number of systems. I mean, that, that's one thing, but that exists in other markets. It's the number of highly branded, internationally renowned uh, institutions that on a, just on a brand basis demand uh, high, and can get higher prices for things than just about anywhere else in the country. So, and you add to that an economy in New York that is so heavily cash-based. If I have a sore right shoulder in New York City, I can go to a hospital for special surgery and see, or any one of the other you know, heavily branded institutions and see the top probably five orthopedic surgeons in the world uh, for my sore right shoulder that is really just like a minor muscle strain and pay 20 times what I would pay to go see my primary care physician in Asheville, North Carolina, where I was from before, which is just what would normally happen, and get more conservative treatment or whatever and get seen at a fraction of the cost. And then, you know, we wonder why our benchmarks are, you know, 30 40 50% higher than, than other uh, similarly risk markets. It's not just because the patients are sicker. It's just the combination of the, I feel like the cash economy, the consumer behavior is really interesting in New York. It is so incredibly consumer-driven uh, that you know, narrow network products just don't sell here. So we're not getting the same kind of support from the payers to help us in managing the population that we would in other markets because it's not a product that sells. People want their flexibility. They want to be able to call the number one, two, three, four, five orthopedic surgeon in the world whenever they have a problem. It's, it's just the way it functions. Um, so that's been rather bizarre. And also the heavy concentration on specialists versus primary care has been also incredibly different than I think other places where population health has really taken off and gone over well. If you look at um, not only our performance, but I think this is true of any network in the city, the specialist to PCP visit ratio is so skewed towards specialists um, that uh, drives costs up. And I know some of that is driven by the, the particular nature of the care that's delivered. We'd have a lot of transplant in New York. So there's some of that that's, that's legitimate. But I would certainly argue that a lot of it is just a combination of branding, consumer choice, history, you know, just inertia um, that exists. So that we have some particular challenges in the market. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, the only thing I'd add to that, I think, um, as a native New Yorker, I, <laughs> I've seen this for a while, but uh, the, the amount of self-referral and the sense of, I'll, for lack of a right. better way, I'll describe it, New Yorkers feel entitled, right? We are the best. We should get the best. I should get it tomorrow. Uh, you know, impacts everything inclusive of how people desire care. 
Um, I think the you know the converse and part of why I joined Mount Sinai was sort of in recognition. Besides, I'm a sucker for a picture of Central Park. Uh, is the fact that our rates are actually on average 10 to 15 percent lower than our academic medical center peers. So we're sort of in an interesting position. Um, while there's a lot of the individual buying dynamic that Rob referred to, um, when you think of employers and sort of where the market's going, um, New York may be early relative to some other markets in the country as they shift, but we're really well positioned as a system. So coming from more of the business side, sort of seeing the opportunity, if you can shift how people think of value and think of it a little bit more about price and how then... Um, which is a lot of what my team does, how do we provide better service around that so that you can get, you can feed into the New York mentality of like, I deserve the best and the best service. Um, how do we do that with value that marries the service and the price point as well? And this brings to mind the fact that being an employer in New York City is really difficult because as you mentioned, the second, mo- you know, second largest expense anywhere is going to be healthcare and here you don't have control. So, Lauren, how do you begin to interface with the employers? Does that mean that there's a lot of interest when you show up at the door and say, we think we have a solution for the New York marketplace? How do those discussions begin? Yeah, I think where you've seen employers nationally buy inclusive of New York to start um, often has interestingly been in more primary and preventative care. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... There's a variety of reasons for that. I think part of it's been, um, and specifically in New York too, of sort of seeing healthcare as almost an amenity and sort of where, um, how do you get people back to work faster? So about a third of large employers, I think it's about a half in the New York market, actually have some form of an on-site clinic. I think it's traditionally been more of sort of like the dock in the box or a nurse downstairs where you you know have like a boo-boo and someone fixes you up and gets you back to your desk quickly. But we've sort of used that as our foot in the door of saying, you know, care can be much more than that. Um, but you've certainly seen, um, you know, the One Medicals and crossovers capitalize on that in the sense of saying, what if we could take, you know, the traditionally sort of crappy experience you're used to in healthcare and elevate that and make it tech forward. So that's kind of become the new benchmark. You're seeing a lot more sort of like a second wave of buying starts transitioning from the nurse downstairs to more comprehensive care. Um, so that's a lot of where we've and used And this is one of, your, one of your yep. models is that Mount Sinai will be that entity for you. Exactly. And do you bring in what? What is what makes you different? I and mean, we've certainly we we've talked about one medical in these symposiums. Um, what do you develop then? Technology integration, the broader network with Mount Sinai. What makes your your story sing? Yeah, I think what started to really resonate with employers um, is around a few of those points. So how do we take a lot of respect for One Medical and the benchmark they've set to that point of the, the healthcare systems historically have set the bar really low. And so they've come in and raised the bar in terms of saying you can have really good primary care in terms of longer appointment times and that tech forward solution. So um, we have to bring that too. So that's uh, a lot of our model is uh, very similar in that way of how do we bring technology in, how do we bring more service-oriented providers in, um, and then how do we differentiate, I think, is where we're starting to get a lot of traction is as great as a one medical model is, at the end of the day, it's still sort of perpetuating the fragmented model sure. of healthcare. Uh, so we are a system, and that's a lot of where we can differentiate is thinking, um, and I want to be clear because this is really endemic to what we're doing. This is not about uh, refer more. Uh, it's about refer less, actually, and refer smart. But we're not going to be able to take care of everything and prevent everything, um, especially in an on-site clinic. So how do we uh, really differentiate by that surround strategy? So if you need downstream care, 
um, how can we connect you and have the system behind you? Um, and I think really think about that, um, and certainly employers, I think, are starting to wake up and realize that to the point of primary care isn't what's driving their spend. Um, specialty care and all the self-referrals are, so if we can actually help control that and we have more of the incentive to do that, um, especially at you know, a price point where we're not trying to make money off of a standalone primary care practice, um, I think that really holistic model, um, while it's the foot in the door, is sort of the broader uh, differentiator we can provide, um, even if I think a lot of the, that benchmark of one medical um, remains and, and needs to be a standard. And then that experience portion is an important part of the, the navigation element that you mm -hmm. mentioned. This is a topic that seems to be getting a lot of excitement. There's companies that build themselves as IT companies that would like to stake a claim to it. There's services, service companies that would also. What is it that you're building and how have you come at it? Yeah, I think there's certainly, again, another area where there are similarities. So I'll use an accolade as an example, I think, has um, you know, certainly set the market for a lot of that of sort of shifting some of the things that would have traditionally gone to a payer. Um, but I think people like it more because it's not the payer, right? There's sort of this mentality of trust that I think the uh, payers have struggled historically at some of the care management stuff. But what they've struggled at, um, not surprisingly, is that they're not care providers themselves. So they... Um, and we've talked to them about this, you know, how can they really close the loop that only uh, providers can? And that doesn't mean, again, Mount Sinai alone is the only one that can do that, but I think we are trying to lead that change of how do we wake up and realize as a health system, we have customers, right? That's not historically how health systems have thought, um, but how do we go direct to some of these purchasers of healthcare and work with, you know, that can be a partnership with an accolade or direct to the employers um, or unions to think about how do we close that loop? So in that accolade example, you know, someone may call and say, I need, you know, I hurt my shoulder, I need to see an orthopedic surgeon. Well, they might be able to say, well, maybe you actually should see an orthopedist first versus a surgeon but they can't really close that loop, meaning they can't actually get the appointment or figure that out. So how can we partner with the accolades um, or have some of that ourselves as a wraparound service mm -hmm. to say, you know, well, we can actually help you get in with the orthopedist and then follow up and sort of make sure the right providers see your, your care record as well. Sure. It starts to feel like, you know, with, in Pop Health, we always talk about um, risk stratification and population stratification. And I was recently in some conference, someone discussed the concept of segmentation, which is you know, really common in the consumer market, but less common in healthcare. And it does feel like everything we're describing this morning, talking with CVS and what you guys are doing and what, what we're trying to build, is really a segmentation strategy where if you have a population of people, sure, there's a risk pyramid and people go up and down the risk pyramid. And there, there's models for all of those. But, but even more nuanced than that is that those at the bottom by demographic or by need, if you're employed, not employed, if you're an 18-year-old or you're a 25-year-old, your needs are different and your demands are different. And ultimately, all of us, we're trying to, you know, we're all in the same market, are going to have to provide products that are geared towards the right segment, whether it's on-demand video visits, you know, we're doing some of that as well, whether it's worksite stuff. But, you know, we're going to catch people in all, from all the different segments in different ways with different products. It's not going to be the same kind of stale product that healthcare delivery, you know, often has. It's going to be a bunch of different products that catch the segments as they come in. But you, I think the point, part of my question earlier is the brand stickiness. I mean, I think what Lauren's getting into is regardless of how you enter the system, if you remember that Sinai was the place that you got into, when you need something that's higher level care, you need something, then, then there is some brand allegiance there. Um, I, you know, that's ultimately what we're, what we're aiming for. 
And maybe just to turn to the technology that enables this, I know, Lauren, you're, you're a technologist by training. So when we look at, your, and Mount Sinai is primarily an epic shop, if you're talking about building an ability to interact with a consumer, with an employer, an on-site clinic, is epic the solution that enables that? CVS talked a little bit about the capabilities there, but I imagine you have to go well beyond that as well. So what has your experience been with Epic and with the technology uh, challenges? Sure. I, I, can, I can maybe start with the Epic piece. I mean, I think similarly, uh, we actually just recently went through uh, a process trying to evaluate uh, our, what we were going to use for care management, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we we're an Epic shop. That's not going to change given the pretty hefty investment, as, as was already stated. It's, not, it's no joke. Um, so that's not going to change. But on the care management side, we just went through that process and actually went through some st- strategic planning with Epic and ultimately decided that they're moving in the right direction for us as well and came to a similar conclusion that I think for a lot of the way we manage the population uh, from a documentation, data sharing, all the same reasons that were discussed earlier, I think uh, that's going to be, a, I think, the main chassis for what we do. However, um, I, we're working on some interesting things from a data perspective that are probably outside of um, Epic's wheelhouse, for example, uh, working on some predictive analytics uh, that are really compelling as a, in terms of incorporating social determinants of health. Um, we're partnering with a company that's uh, actually using claims in a novel way with some machine learning and then uses big data sources, purchased data, um, the same thing that you know, Target and Walmart, probably CVS has been doing two or three years in terms of gathering data and figure out where the, what, what's going on with their consumers. Um, we're doing that as well, but that we're, we can predict all sorts of things using that data. So specifically, we're using that to predict the risk of a, a new admission, an unplanned admission in the next 30 days. So with some degree of certainty, I can tell you which of our members will likely end up in the hospital in the next 30 days. And then tell you along five domains of social determinants where they might flag as having gaps um, even before we even interact with the patient. So that's pretty empowering from a social worker care management perspective um, when we're doing outreach. So those are things that are kind of outside of, I think, Epic's wheelhouse. Um, Mm -hmm. So then the the goal is how do we integrate those kinds of things into Epic so it's in the workflow. Um, But so it's mostly Epic, I think, from at least my perspective but plus some bolt-on things that maybe can be done better with, with other market products. Interesting. Questions from the audience, or did you have something you wanted to no, add No, I was just going to say, I think briefly on the tech side for the employer stuff, I think um, I didn't bring my slide today, but often we'll show, you know, there's it's basically, you know, a bunch of different logos. There's been a ton of vendors that have tried to focus in and continue to focus on the employer space. Um, so we've had sort of an interesting build-by-partner uh, strategy and conundrum at times because there's a lot of there good news, bad news. Like there's a lot of different vendors out there that have tried to attach the space. And as we think about how do we serve employers nationally and things like that, we would much rather partner than have to build some of our own capabilities. Um, conversely, there's a lot of things that have been built for very niche solutions, um, much like an early stage market dynamic. So you can get your diabetes, your behavioral health, but it's you have to. And a lot of our employer customers are starting to ask us of. I have 15 different vendors. Can you help me organize all these different vendors, or can you do it yourself? Um, and we're sort of in this conundrum of we want to be tech forward, we want to be able to scale, but probably trying to do, you know, Lavongo, Vita, everything at once is probably not the right model. So I think um, there's a lot out there. 
I think there's a lot of noise, interestingly, and even though the employer market is sort of new, it's been relatively trendy, um, but everyone sort of attached, uh, attacked it in a very niche way that makes it very hard trying to aggregate and convene, and I think the employers have struggled with that as well. Well, and it's a great point. I feel like there's no platform for dealing with popular, for let's say dealing, for, <laughs> for managing. Uh, managing population health on a national basis. Maybe Epic has had a chance, has a chance. I think Cerner with Healthy Intent would like to be agnostic, and now they're working with Lumeris, which is interesting. The payers have a uh, stake in this as well, right? So we certainly we saw United and Optum and Aetna and Healthogen. I, I don't know what we'll call Healthogen going forward, but um, in, from your perspective, is there a platform? It sounds like Epic can be part of that plumbing, but isn't necessarily a population health management platform um, and how do you do you aspire to become that? Is that part of the the story? Yeah, um, probably both answer in different ways. I think uh, the the answer is yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> to answer that more specifically, I mean, I think from the the tech vendor's perspective, we would rather partner than build our own solution. Yeah. Although, as Rob alluded to, and I alluded, to, we're gonna we are in a place where we have to do some internal custom build because there's nothing. What we're trying to do fundamentally hasn't been done before. So I appreciate vendors haven't necessarily. There's not something we can buy off the shelf to meet our our needs from the tech perspective. I think as we think about sort of national scale from a service perspective, uh, Mount Sinai's goal as a health system isn't to you know become the next Ascension. So we're not going to go out and well we just acquired South Nassau on Long Island or this is not some uh, takeover health systems writ large uh, strategy we're after. Uh, I think it's much more a, a partnership strategy. So whether that's through vendors or other health systems from serving employers nationally, um, that'll be more our strategy I think you see. And then regional partnerships to really make sure we can take care of people regardless of where they work and live um, more than a sort of takeover um, everywhere strategy. But mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, the, the only thing I would add is that I, I, I think that Epic is probably what, what we're looking for in a platform and why we ultimately chose Epic, not just as an EMR that was already done, but for our future care management solution is that it's the right vehicles, the right chassis, they have the right uh, strategy, I think, long term for in terms of data integration and to, to kind of absorb all the different inputs. Um, but I actually think the most interesting things in terms of pop health and managing populations is actually less about the technology. I mean, wearables are cool, and but I think you know we don't really lack data, and, and it turns out that some, sometimes the simplest you know age and gender can actually get you pretty far in terms of managing your population. So I, I think all that's really cool and interesting, and I, I love it. I'm, uh, but I, I actually think the most interesting things are happening in the world of uh, trauma-informed care, behavior change. Uh, service delivery, you know, those kinds of care models independent of technology that I think are actually the most interesting and actually will kind of get us, um, you, know, o- you know, through over the, the mountain, if you will, in terms of trying to figure this out. Um, because patients that, are, that don't engage in healthcare just don't engage. And so um, until we figure out the key to kind of figure out those high-risk folks and, and managing their behavior and having them get to better outcomes in that way, I think all the tech in the world doesn't necessarily solve that for any, for everyone. So I think that's what I'm most interested in. Question over here. So, Warren, do, does your position exist in the other New York health systems addressing hmm. the employers um, directly? 
Um, I would say surprisingly not with a couple exceptions. Um, to, to the surprising part, again, I, same part of what attracted me here is that sort of Mount Sinai was showing signs of waking up and realizing we had customers. And that, that's a shift, right? And I'll, I can pick on Rob because he's a physician, right? Like they're used to sort of like physicians drive it and you know, just people just come. Um, and I think there's a, an appreciation at Mount Sinai um, partly because of our cost position, maybe relative to an NYP and an NYU, but partly, I think, um, a little bit more forward thinking than you would maybe expect of uh, sort of riding, maybe to say it more provocatively, like riding ourselves off the fee-for-service cliff is not a great strategy for you know, growth over the coming years. Um, but some of our competitors on the more academic medical side, I think, are in a position that they um, that can be their strategy for the next at least few years. I would argue that's probably not a good one forever. Um, where you have seen it is um, you know, Memorial Sloan Kettering and HSS do have some direct-to-employer services. I think they've set kind of the bar also in this market for certain things um, and I think was a competitive catalyst in part for Mount Sinai waking up as well. Just a quick follow-up. Mm-hmm. Are the competitor, are, are the health plan um, VPs of labor and trust that, uh, you know, uh, surprised to learn of your existence. <laughs> uh, and what's your relationship with them at open enrollment time? Yeah, I think, um, so we've been doing a lot of work with all different insurance plans in a few ways. So we do work, um, and we can talk a lot about some of the union work we're doing that I think is actually um, some of the most interesting in terms of alignment, and they're willing to be, um, not surprisingly, because of that alignment of the value um, and the cost burden, since every dollar uh, sort of spent on healthcare is a dollar that's not going into wages, because they manage people for their lives and, and effectively manage their own healthcare costs. Um, so we're doing a lot of work with the plans on that side and more of the commercially insured side. Um, we're doing, we've done some uh, partnerships with United and Aetna to date. I think they struggle with and wish they could do more with us sometimes um, in the sense of there's some issues with anti-tiering language that they can't shift as much and really do um, you know, prefer network products as much as they'd like. So we've done more work uh, to date, um, or really in the last year, I should say, relative um, with some of the newer health plans. So we're actually launching a Medicare Advantage plan with Bright Health um, in 2019, but some of the collectives and Centivos and Bright Health that I think are building, uh, dare I say, sort of uh, smarter health plans from the beginning in terms of thinking of how do you really partner with providers from day one um, that I think all of our incentives at the end of the day should be aligned, right? So some of the, the talk earlier around CVS and Aetna, right? At the end of the day, payer and provider uh, because of the way our system has been set up, are antagonistic, but at the end of the day, you know, preventing <laughs> unnecessary care and costs very much aligns with what we're doing. So um, long way of saying, I think some of the, the more traditional plans have sort of struggled in the New York market to some of the issues of sort of consumers and employers being willing to um, have even the perception of less choice. Uh, the unions have been more progressive, and I think some of the newer health plans um, are structuring themselves to partner more directly with health plans for a lot of those reasons. And even New York is not immune to the cost Can pressures. I just add something to yeah. that point here. Uh, so the employers are definitely very frustrated with the payers overall, and they are definitely looking that we're, we're hearing this a lot from our members and to us directly, that employers are looking to also disrupt the system in terms of the way it's worked historically. They're very frustrated. And they're seeing uh, the need to work with providers in a much more direct fashion. 
one. And two, the challenge, though, is that because our country is basically, you know, health systems in regions, uh, so they're looking at how do they actually build something that's bigger than that. So that is a, a, a major, I would say, a major trend that's, that's in its early stages right now. Just one quick point I'd add, um, just to clarify too, we're not trying, so we're doing a lot, but we're not trying to start health plans ourselves. Um, so it's, you know, when I talk about the preferred network, it's sort of like a Kaiser-like intent where we're the provider side of that coin more than we're trying to be the payer itself. So I think that also helps. We're not trying to fully disintermediate them. We're trying to make it an easier experience all around. Sure. I have a question about Bright. I know you guys had that announcement a month or two ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about the Medicare Advantage market in New York City. It's just, you know, every plan is zero premium, and it's got all 18 hospitals in their network, right? It's just like the most, it's crazy for anyone not to be in Medicare Advantage on the island, right? So why Bright? Like, what, how do they compete with all of these others, and how would a narrow network, how do you think that sells? And I guess what brought you guys together? Were they looking for a partner, or were you looking for something new, or...? Yeah, I can start and you can certainly sure. add from your perspective. Um, so I think to, you know, a few reasons. I think uh, one of the points that I just made of sort of the newer plans are looking and Bright's model specifically is focused on in each market they've launched and continue to launch of picking a partner within a market. So that's very much aligned with what we're trying to do is saying if you can have that integration. Um, and again, we're, it's funny of the perception of a narrow network, right? We are... This is on the other side, right? But we have eight hospitals, 6,000 providers. Um, I, I won't mention the name of the plan, but we were just talking to Bright yesterday, and someone was talking about when they launched a, a plan with another provider in New York, you know, or sorry, another plan in New York. You know, they had far less coverage um, than anyone would have thought. It was just because they hadn't affiliated with one particular provider that no one really thought about that. So I think we can really provide... Um, pretty good coverage um, within one broad health system. Um, and that's certainly, I think, the alignment strategically with what Bright's trying to do and what we're trying to do is a large reason um, why you know, it's been, to date, a, a good partnership. Um, I think to the, the point of how do you differentiate in that, um, we've been talking to them about that because I, I think there is this perception that cost drives a lot of the decisions, which is true, but if everyone's going out and saying zero premiums, unless you're an actuary, sort of figuring out that were actually cheaper and a better value is really difficult to do. Um, so there's a couple things we're um, trying to work with them, and hopefully you'll see in the market resonating. Um, so one is actually more holistic benefits. So actually Bright's plan includes um, vision, hearing, and dental, um, which is not surprisingly a huge need in an aging population, uh, surprisingly not something you see in most traditional Medicare plans. Um, we're pulling in a lot of resources from New York Eye and Ear and really thinking about how, again, holistically do we differentiate the service offering. Um, the other thing we're doing in launch is um, looking at almost a microsite strategy. So we're focused on Stytown as one area to look at um, to start. There happens to be you know, 20, 25,000 people that live there, four or 5,000 of which are seniors. We have um, a Mount Sinai practice literally in the middle of Stytown and Peter Cooper Village. Um, so thinking of, you know, to that point of sort of everyone talks about how do you sort of create a medical home and bring care together. We literally have a uh, physical way to do that um, that pulls in, again, other services, but uh, pulling in geriatrics, pulling in primary care, pulling in at-home visits. Um, I think the fact that they are affiliated with Mount Sinai, um, that's you know, part of the brand, if maybe confusing in the broader messaging um, that you'll see, is, is the big differentiator, that there is, a, um, again, a sort of system behind it versus just effectively you know, 
a standard plan. Yeah, and the only thing I would add is that the, the continuum of care is really important there. You know, uh, a healthy, you know, not all 65-year-olds are created equal, right, and so on. And there are different needs that happen with, between different life events. So I, I think to Lauren's point, having a, a brick-and-mortar central location in a codified place where, um, you know, the market naturally is and, and concentrates is awesome. And then if that's the catchment, then over the continuum of the patient, what additional services can be provided under the brand of Bright and Mount Sinai together that covers those different life events, you know, um, whether it's, you know, we would hope at some point a hospital at home and all those other things that we have done for years, frankly, at a loss because there isn't a payment model for it, going at risk and offering a service delivery that stretches across the continuum of care that it might need, can, we hope is going to be really attractive. So maybe the last question for, for Dr. Fields. I want to come back to pharmacy and the role that pharmacy Mm -hmm. can play in population health. So maybe it's worth just outlining how you have uh, looked to utilize pharmacists or clinics, since we were talking about Clinic as Mm -hmm. well. And I believe CVS has a relationship Mm -hmm. with Mount Sinai. Maybe you can give us a little bit of your perspective on what you heard this morning. Yeah. And it actually feeds into the thing I was just saying. I think that we don't really believe that we can do all of it and, and don't really have a plan to do everything that we, so partnerships are really important, whether it's with our own narrow network and preferred network of post-acute facilities or in the context of CVS, actually partnering with CVS as catchment points, you know, to saying like, as you stated earlier with, with, I mean, I don't think CVS necessarily has immediate plans to do everything either because it's, you know, you do what you're best at, but there are ways to partner to create mutual, mutually beneficial relationships. And so we've started that with CVS with some co-branding and minute clinics in the city, um, but also are actually in the middle of discussions about what more can we do together in terms of managing populations. I, I, am a, I had the benefit of working in an integrated primary care model for most of my career until moving here, uh, where I actually had social workers, RNs, clinical pharmacists working with me every day. It was a life-changing experience in terms of how to provide primary care. Um, we're trying to build that clinical pharmacists embedded in primary care practices doing med titration for really common conditions, but also realizing that, uh, uh, to your point, a massive a number of touch points happen at the community pharmacy level that we need to be partnering with. And it's both everything from when a patient goes to pick up their blood pressure medicine, hey, you know, they're actually missing their breast cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening. Can we share that information with you so the pharmacist can, re- or the, even the tech, can remind the patient, hey, you know, you're due for these preventive screenings. Um, you know, you haven't had your A1C checked in some time. Do you want to do that while you're here today? I mean, a lot of the things, i totally with you on the things that you were describing earlier. We, we want to partner with CBS to do those things together because our, our incentives are aligned and the, our goals in terms of how we care with the patients are aligned. And not everyone wants to go to Mount Sinai, to any clinic. I mean, it's not particularly Mount Sinai. They just don't want to go, even if they take their medication. So, um, but they will, will often go to the pharmacy for all sorts of things. So we're trying to partner in, in more meaningful ways um, to, to kind of meet those mutual goals, for sure. That's a, that's a great, great tie-in of the first half here. We're going to take a break for about five to ten minutes. And then we're going to be back. We're going to get perspectives from uh, Kaiser on strategy and technology. We're going to have Montefiore, uh, I have to mention Clover and Agilon and, and several others. So I think we're going to take many of these threads forward. But first, let's thank uh, Lauren and Rob thank for you. joining us today. We'll be back in 5 to 10. Thank you.
Oh yeah, good. That was fun. Oh man, yeah. Um, so it turns out. Fantastic. Well, you know, interestingly, it probably was, but there were all sorts of things. Finally, in the last two weeks, as I was like really looking at Mount Sinai, and went there for. Like you know, when you first told me you're going, I was like, really? Of all the different platforms to go and try to tackle this, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's. Thanks for including. Oh, of course. It's really. 